discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. According to the next web, a Belgian artist has devised a novel way to catch misbehaving politicians by automatically tagging the rogues who use their phones at work. Dries Duporter is using artificial intelligence to monitor YouTube videos of Flemish government meetings. When the stream starts, his software uses machine learning to find phones in the footage and facial recognition to identify politicians using the devices. Videos of the distracted lawmakers are then posted to the Twitter and Instagram accounts of the project called the Flemish Scrollers for a bit of good old public shaming. The author of the story says, quote, as a long-suffering subject of British conservative governments, I'm loath to defend negligent politicians, but this project gives me the creeps, and I suspect that's the whole point. I imagine most of us have checked our phones during a meeting. It might sometimes be to mindlessly scroll through social media, but in other cases, it could be for an urgent reason. Regardless, the perpetual monitoring monitoring of employees isn't something I'd welcome in my workplace." He concludes that could be how the Flemish Scrollers makes its most powerful impact by raising awareness of AI surveillance creep and the need to curb it. When the lawmakers become the targets, they may be more eager to regulate the weapons. Well, gee, folks, I sure hope so. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Howdy, folks. So, I have just a small handful of stories for you all today that admittedly are only vaguely related to that opening bit there. But hey, you know how we roll up here at the Daily Ruckus. And by we, I mean me, myself, and I. And my trusty microphone, of course. Although now, I'm not so sure I can trust my microphone. Now, I'm not sure if you are aware of this, but when I record my show, the one you're listening to right now, The Daily Ruckus, as well as many other projects involving audio, I use a software program called Audacity. As such, needless to say, the following story had me mildly alarmed. 
Gizmodo reports, Ever since Audacity was acquired by tech conglomerate Muse Group in late April, fans of the free-to-use audio tool have been raising hell about some of the changes made to the software. First came plans to add telemetry capture, then came a new contributor license agreement. Then, last week, came a privacy policy update that some Audacity diehards say turns the software into spyware. But Audacity isn't spyware, if only because virtually every app we use is some form of spyware these days. Audacity's privacy policy was updated on July 2nd to clarify that the program will now collect certain forms of quote-unquote personal data from the people using it. Like the user's operating system name and version, and that user's country based on their IP address. On top of this, the privacy policy notes that it will also collect quote, data necessary for law enforcement, litigation, and authorities' requests, if any, end quote. That last clause was vaguely worded and threatening enough that Audacity users began assuming the worst. Some theorized that the software would now tap users' microphones and pawn that data to law enforcement or other authorities. It's not clear whether any of that is actually true. Certain other clauses that users were up in arms about, like one stating that its program, quote, is not intended for individuals below the age of 13, end quote, were only included to comply with data collection rules like COPPA that puts a tight cap on any data collected from the pre-teen set. This includes personal data, but also so-called, quote-unquote, anonymous data, like the hashed IP addresses Audacity collects, in part because those nuggets can still be traced back to the user it originated from. What is clear Clear, is that Audacity joined the ranks of companies like WhatsApp and TikTok by writing up a privacy policy that was misinterpreted from the get-go, at least according to the company. Quote, We believe concerns are due largely to unclear phrasing in the privacy policy, which we are now in the process of rectifying, Muse Group's head of strategy Daniel Ray said in a statement on GitHub. In the meantime, we would like to clarify what seem to be the major points of concern concern. End quote. First, Ray says of Audacity, quote, We do not and will not sell any data we collect or share it with third parties. Full stop. End quote. Which seemed to address one of the main concerns that users had. That said, it's worth mentioning that data quote-unquote selling and data quote-unquote sharing are legally distinct phrases, and Audacity's privacy policy still leaves the door wide open to share data with authorities, potential buyers, or with any other body that legally requires it. The policy also notes that it will share data for the quote-unquote legitimate interest of its parent company, quote, to offer and ensure the proper functioning of the app, end quote, which is privacy policy speak for saying it can, theoretically, share that data with marketing companies or any advertising middlemen. Ray adds that its data collection is, quote-unquote, very limited and only includes, quote-unquote, pseudonymized IP addresses that are irretrievable after 24 hours, system information that includes OS version and 
CPU type, and optional error report data, not user's microphone recordings or personal details. For context, in the majority of cases, this is the sort of data that cops will request from companies like Apple, Microsoft, or Facebook, since even so-called anonymous signals can be tied back to the device that generated it. But even in cases where authorities asked for user data, Ray added, this data won't be shared immediately upon request. It would only be shared if quote-unquote compelled by a court of law in a jurisdiction in which the company operates. Quote, we operate in many countries around the world, and this is a standard policy requirement for providing services in many jurisdictions, he added, also noting that Europe's GDPR defines an IP address as quote-unquote personal data, which is why Audacity used that phrase in its privacy policy. Also worth mentioning here is that some of the other products under the Muse Group umbrella, like the music notation software Muse Score, feature nearly identical privacy policies, which suggests the parent company just updated Audacity's policies for some consistency across its catalog. But that doesn't excuse the piss-poor wording on its original draft which Ray swears will be revised soon enough. If you're still on edge despite Ray's explanation, or have simply lost faith in Muse Group's ability to not destroy Audacity going forward, here's some good news. The new privacy policy update doesn't come into effect until Audacity's next update to 3.03, and the current version, 3.02, doesn't have these data sharing features enabled. So you can rest easy if you download the software software in its current state and just never update. Even better, some users are taking advantage of Audacity's open source nature to spin off forks of the software that cut out the unnecessary data collection. In other words, if you want to keep your Audacity data private, you have options. The truth is though, if you're worried about Audacity being spyware, then you should also be worried about every other app being spyware too. Spotify keeps track of when you're going to the gym. Your gym keeps track of when you're logging onto Facebook. Facebook keeps track of literally everything. It's natural to be on edge when a popular piece of music recording software suddenly updates its privacy policy after being around for two decades. But in the grand scheme of things, you're likely already using products that share troves more data than Audacity does without a second thought. So by all means, be up in arms about Audacity's update, and we should all be angry about the constant erosion of privacy by apps and services of all kinds. Not to mention the god-awful data protection laws we have here in the US. But we're going to need a hell of a lot more pitchforks. Gizmodo.com. Huh. It's actually kind of weird reporting about Audacity while using Audacity. It's a little meta. And for a little while there, I felt a bit like Daniel in The Lion's Den. Regardless, I'm sure most of us by now, in the year 2021, have basically accepted the fact that an insanely huge amount of data is collected on an insanely huge amount of people, like, constantly. And at the end of the day, when you zoom out and take a look at it, it's a lot of data. So much data 
that the U.S. Defense Department had to cancel the $10 billion Jedi cloud computing project that it had awarded to Microsoft in 2019 because the controversial program's design, quote, no longer meets its needs. End quote. As reported by The Verge, the department will replace Jedi with another cloud infrastructure contract and plans to solicit bids from Microsoft as well as Amazon, which sued over losing the original contract. CNBC reported the news early on Tuesday. Quote, due to evolving requirements, increased cloud conversancy, and industry advances, the Jedi cloud contract no longer meets its needs, reads a Defense Department press release. Quote, Jedi was developed at a time when the department's needs were different, and both the CSP's technology and our cloud conversancy was less mature, end quote, said Acting Defense Department Chief Information Officer John Sherman as part of the statement. The release also announced a multi-vendor contract called the Joint Warfighter Cloud Capability Contract to provide many of the services offered by JEDI. CNBC says the Defense Department considers Amazon and Microsoft the only companies capable of providing the necessary infrastructure, although it says it will perform market research to see if other competitors could fit the bill. JEDI would have seen Microsoft provide cloud services for data storage, as well as artificial intelligence tasks and other computing requirements, although some Microsoft employees protested the decision to submit a bid. Microsoft beat Amazon to secure the contract, and Amazon filed a lawsuit claiming former President Donald Trump's animus against it had improperly influenced the decision. The suit placed Jedi on pause, and this spring, a judge allowed the case to proceed to trial. In a statement to Congress in January, the Defense Department had suggested that a protracted dispute with Amazon could jeopardize Jedi's future thanks to a quote-unquote urgent unmet requirement for cloud computing. Quote, we remain fully committed to meeting these requirements we hope, through JEDI. But these requirements transcend any one procurement, said Defense Department Press Secretary John Kirby in May. And they're going to have to be met one way or the other, end quote. An Amazon spokesperson told The Verge that, quote, we understand and agree with the department's decision today. Unfortunately, the contract award was not based on the merits of the proposals and instead was the result of outside influence that has no place in government procurement. Our commitment to supporting our nation's military and ensuring that our war fighters and defense partners have access to the best technology at the best price is stronger than ever. We look forward to continuing to support the DOD's modernization efforts and building solutions that help accomplish their critical missions. End quote. Microsoft responded to the decision with a blog post. Quote, the DOD faced a difficult choice. Continue with what could be a years-long litigation battle or find another path forward. It reads in part, because the security of the United States through the provision of critical technology upgrades is more important than any single contract, we respect and accept DOD's decision to move forward on a different path to secure mission-critical technology, end quote. 
The Post says Microsoft is, quote, ready to support the DoD as they work through their next steps and its new cloud computing solicitation plans, end quote. TheVerge.com. Well, I hope at least for their sake, Apple and Microsoft are paying attention to technology news. Because there's always a small chance that the DoD might not award a new data storage contract to one of the big players with their big cloud computing solutions and their big server racks in big data storage warehouses. No, instead, perhaps they might go with a small player. A very, very small player, indeed. According to Live Science, scientists have developed the world's thinnest piece of technology, a tiny device only two atoms thick that can be used to store electronic information. The device consists of two layers, one made up of boron and the other of nitrogen, arranged in a repeating hexagonal structure. By taking advantage of a strange quantum mechanical effect called quantum tunneling, Electrons from the boron and nitrogen atoms are able to zip across the gap between the two layers, changing the state of the device and allowing it to encode digital information. This is similar to the way current state-of-the-art computing devices work. The hearts of computers contain many tiny crystals, each consisting of roughly a million atoms stacked in multiple 100-atom layers. By shuttling electrons across gaps between the layers, computers are able to switch between the two binary states, 0 and 1, that form the basis of the basic unit of digital information, the bit. Mosh Ben Shalom, a physicist at Tel Aviv University and a co-author of the study that developed the new technology, said, quote, In its natural three-dimensional state, this material, the crystal, is made up of a large number of layers placed on top of each other, with each layer rotated 180 degrees relative to its neighbors. In the lab, we were able to artificially stack the layers in a parallel configuration with no rotation, which hypothetically places atoms of the same kind in perfect overlap, despite the strong repulsive force between them, resulting from their identical charges." End quote. Quantum tunneling enables particles, in this case electrons, to pass through seemingly impassable barriers. This is because in quantum physics, particles exist as both waves and particles simultaneously. Those waves are the projected proper Probabilities of the particle existing in a given space, much like a wave smashing against a groin at sea, will result in a smaller wave propagating to the other side. Particles that exist as waves also have some probability of existing at the other side of a barrier. It is this ability that allows electrons to leap between the device's boron and nitrogen layers. In reality, the team said that the two layers do not perfectly align, instead prefer to slide slightly off-center from one another so that the opposite charges of each layer overlap. This causes the free electrons, negatively charged, to move toward one layer and the positively charged atomic nuclei to the other, creating a small amount of electronic polarization, one side being positively charged and the other negatively charged, inside the device. By adjusting how one layer relates to the other, the polarization can be reversed, changing the device from one binary state to the other, and with it, 
the stored information. By reducing the size of the technology down to just two layers of atoms, the researchers could speed up the electron movement. Quicker electron movement could make future devices faster, less dense, and more energy efficient. Throughout the rise of computing in the late 20th and early 21st centuries, the growth of computer processing power was described by Moore's Law, which says that the number of transistors that can fit on a chip doubles every two years, with an accompanying increase in performance. But as chip makers hit fundamental physical limits on how small transistors can get, this trend is slowing. The researchers hope that electronic chips based upon the new device's design could change this slowdown. Lead author Mayan Visner Stern, a doctoral candidate at Tel Aviv University, said in a statement, quote, We hope that miniaturization and flipping the polarization of the device through sliding will improve today's electronic devices and, moreover, allow other original ways of controlling information in future devices." LiveScience.com Well, on the surface this all sounds fine and dandy, but there are a couple setbacks to consider, as far as I'm concerned. It's interesting the article brought up Moore's Law, yet completely ignored Moore's Second Law, as explained by Wikipedia. As the cost of computer power to the consumer falls, the cost of producers to fulfill Moore's law follows an opposite trend. R&D, manufacturing, and test costs have increased steadily with each new generation of chips. Rising manufacturing costs are an important consideration for the sustaining of Moore's law. This has led to the formulation of Moore's second law, also called Rock's law, which is that the cap capital cost of a semiconductor fabrication also increases exponentially over time. So there's that. And then there's the little-known ruckus law, which says that it doesn't really matter what the technology is or how much it costs. There will always be a shadowy group of elite technocrats that will do everything in their power to use that technology for their benefit and not ours. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Wednesday, July 7, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.